0: Hello there, this is Rev. Tasha Blackburn with First Presbyterian Church and welcome to um, the Reader's Digest version of our weekly Sunday School class. We do Sunday School right now through Zoom and it involves a lot of back and forth and it lasts almost a whole hour. And so now we're offering just the nuggets of what was taught, the kernels um, of wisdom that drip from our mouths that was taught in the last uh, week's Sunday School class. And we're going to do that in 20, 25 minutes or less. So welcome. Glad you're here. The topic this last Sunday uh, was a requested topic, and it was on tell us more about what it is to be born again and what um, it means when someone says they're born again. Do I need to be born again? Things around that issue. And then we also had lots of questions about baptism come in. And so we're going to touch on both of those a little bit uh, today together. Um, I want to start with where this idea of being born again came from. And it comes to us from the Gospel of John, from one of several long conversations Jesus has with people he meets. And this is John 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, a Jewish religious leader. Uh, He knows his scripture, and he wants to know more about Jesus. He sees something special in him, um, but he's still fearful. And so he comes to Jesus at night, we read, and starts asking Jesus some questions. And then I want to read to you a little bit what Jesus says back to Nicodemus. This is three, um, beginning about uh, verse 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. So we get this idea uh, that above there, that preposition, can be translated both uh, born from above or born again. That's, oh, gotta love Greek. And so Nicodemus um, misunderstands it, even in his conversation. Jesus says you have to be born from above. And Nicodemus hears, you have to be born again a second time. And so, you know, there's a little humor in there where, what am I supposed to do? Crawl back into my mother's womb and, and get born again? And Jesus simply and patiently repeats, know what I'm saying to you is you have to be born from above. Now, ever since he said those words to Nicodemus in the middle of the night, and since the gospel writer of John wrote them down, we have wondered, you know, what does that mean? And um, different Christian leaders have thought um, a variety of things. John Calvin said, uh, I think what most of us really believe about this moment, um, this exchange between them, he said, you know, it's not an amendment of part of yourself, but it's a renewal of your whole nature. That's what he said, that to be born from above or born again, um, it's not just nibbling at the edges of who I am, but it is uh, sincerely having a whole new nature to myself. And then as a follow-up, um, a guy named Boltmann uh, took what Calvin said, and he said this with it. He said, it means you get a new origin and that that's something that we can't give ourselves. So it's not just me striving and, and, and getting better and better and better. Uh, it is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives um, that we can't do for ourselves. So basically, what happened was Nicodemus, as a Jewish leader of the time, uh, what he had been taught since he was little was Nicodemus, since you were born into this, you were born Jewish, and you were circumcised when you were eight days old, um, because of that, by both your birth and your heritage. You are a child of God. And Jesus is saying here, well, Nicodemus, okay, but there is also this work of the Holy Spirit that has to happen in your life. Um, it's not just your birthright um, to follow me and to, and to, and to be uh, someone who is um, a child of God. It is actually uh, something that the Spirit does in your life as well. Now, this really leads to a lot of questions, as we can imagine, Um, and I want to get to those in just a minute, but I want to say how the term born again really came to be um, in our common lexicon uh, even now, and it really has only been with us a very brief period of time, actually. Um, In 1975, some of you may remember, and is this when I should really bother you in Remind you, I was born in 1975. But um, Jimmy Carter was running for president. And Jimmy Carter um, announced to the country that he identified himself as a born-again Christian. That's the type of Christian he was, a born-again Christian. That's 1975. Now, before um, really the middle of that century, before the 1950s, It was not a very common concept. Uh, You were simply Christian or not Christian as far as um, what we talked about uh, as Christians. Before that, um, up until about the 1950s, you um, identified as being a Christian uh, because you went to church. You know, you you were part of a Christian community. That was a way you were Christian. You participated in the life of the church. You um, partook, partaken, partook of the sacraments. Um, that was how you knew you were part of uh, the life of God, was you'd been baptized, you participated in communion, and you were part of a church family. And beginning about the 1950s, um, what ended up being uh, – a more sort of conservative branch, what we might term a more conservative branch of Christianity, said, well, now hold the phone. Uh, And it was similar questions to what's happening in John 3. Like, okay, so if you were born into a Christian family that went to church, and they baptized you as a baby, and you went to communion, and and you attended worship, um, does that mean you're Christian? Does that mean you are following Jesus? And this movement um, said, no, there's another step here. You need to be born again. You need to have had a crisis um, that led to your conversion. And, um, and, then, and then that is what is going to identify you as a Christian. Whether or not, actually, you participate in church, whether or not uh, you have sacraments, although those are important, What is especially important is this moment when the Holy Spirit worked in your life uh, and you were born a second time. And so this really started to become more and more common, uh, like I say, from the 1950s on. It came into the national conversation in the 1970s um, and has been with us ever since. And um, as I say, it brings up quite a few questions. It might seem like it's just one belief, but it is a belief that has lots of little fingers in all kinds of parts of our faith. Like, uh, what does conversion mean, Uh, being converted to Christianity? What does salvation mean? Um, How do I know if I'm saved? And also, what does sanctification mean? What does it mean to be made holy? And and what's baptism have to do with it, right? So there's just all kinds of fingers with this. I want to dip into just a few of them in the time we have. Um, and I want to speak from the Reformed Christian perspective. That's that's what the Presbyterian Church is. That's what my home, uh, home faith uh, is. And we talk a lot about um, our own nature. Uh, what is my nature? For example, let's think back to the Garden of Eden and the fall, capital F, fall of humanity. Well, different um, strands of Christianity really come down in slightly different places on what they think is happening to our natures, our human natures in that fall. For example, um, early on, Methodists, um, early on, believed that When we fell, when it was no longer paradise, when we were now um, estranged from God, um, that our human nature, that our, that image of God that God had placed in each of us um, as he created us, that image of God was now tarnished. It was stained and it was banged up a little, you know. That's the really deeply theological terms for it. Um, but, But that it was still there it was, but it was beat up and tarnished. Um, But because it was basically still there, there was a sense in which um, we could be sanctified even in this life. We can become holier and holier in this life. We don't have to wait for the next life to be sanctified. There is a sanctification that we can reach even here and now. Now, Reformed Christians like Presbyterians and Lutherans and Uh, folks like that, we said, well, no, the way I read that, and what I see of human nature, very candidly, is that it's not just tarnished, that image of God that's in us, it was completely stomped on. um, And it is torn apart. And it is in shreds on the floor. Um, And, and the repercussion of that in our belief system is, I can't get to sanctification here in this life. I can't get all the way there. I have to wait um, until the next life to get there. The, the the term we have for this in Reformed teaching is, you're going to love it, total depravity. <laughs> total depravity. And that means that we think, no, that image of God in us is all messed up. It's completely twisted beyond shape and we are totally depraved. Um, without Christ working in our lives, um, we're just a, a, a heap of rubble on the floor. And so we don't think very highly of human nature, if you can tell. Um, and so when we think about uh, what's that mean for me having a completely new nature, you remember those quotes, those, having a new origin, and a new nature, um, we would say that Yes, that is my prayer, that is the goal, but I am never going to reach that in this life. Um, so for us, the, the consequence of that is that we don't necessarily talk about being born again as much as we would talk about, I need, I need that new renewal, I need to be born again um, every day. Every hour, I need continuous rebirthing, right? Because I'm totally depraved. And so for us, we often don't talk about it because we don't feel like there was one day and time um, when the Holy Spirit worked in my life and settled everything. And now I'm good, right? Like I'm good. Now my nature's changed. And from then on, I have not ever been the old nature. No, we feel like that's a continual process of conversion um, and that that sanctification can only go so far um, on this side of life. Um, It's not a once and done. It's a thing we grow into. Um, So that's why sometimes people will say, well, have I been born again? Why don't you ever talk about that, Tasha? You know, what if I don't have a date or what if I do? And I would say, if you do have a date that you can point to when you say, no, that is when the Holy Spirit worked in my life. I know the date and time. I would say, I think that's fantastic. I think it's amazing the way God has worked in your life. And um, I think it's wonderful that you have something to point to. If you don't have that date and time, um, I would say, take heart. (laughs) Um, God works on us and his spirit works on us. Um, in his own time, in his own way, and in a way that can meet us. So I want you to think about baptism for just a moment, um, because maybe this is an image that can help. Um, you've probably seen a baby baptized before, or you've, if it's not your tradition, you may have seen it on uh, movies or something. And often, when a baby is baptized, they will wear these huge gowns that are way bigger. Uh, than that baby can fill and I love it when they do that because that's exactly what we think of about our faith and what we think of about our baptism that this is something I don't fit yet it doesn't fit me yet but our goal and our life of faith and our walk of faith is um, that we will continually be converted over and over and renewed and rebirthed over and over so that that garment fits better and better now it won't fit perfectly until I meet Jesus face to face, right? And until He does His complete work, uh, His His work is finished. Um, but we do want it to fit more and more. It's something we grow into. Now this relates back to baptism in another way as well, because um, as you may or may not know, as Reformed Christians, we do baptize infants. We baptize adults as well. We baptize children. Um, but that really does get to a a piece of this finger, right? That, that I said that has fingers in lots of different ways. One of those fingers is, um, what do we think of the work of salvation? How do I get saved? Is it my own effort? Is it God's effort? What's the role there? What, what role do I play? And we baptize infants because we so strongly feel, That the work of salvation is god's work god does the initial act and we ourselves are unworthy so much so that even a newborn can be baptized because god is the one sealing us god is the one saving us god is the one bringing us into the family and where we put the emphasis is okay then my life is to be a life of response to that work What is the response? What is the fruit in my life in the way that I've responded in gratitude and joy um, to the work that God has done? So I have a second image for you uh, to think about. So we have that long baptismal gown and we grow, we're trying to grow into that garment. The other image I would give you, um, it's on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Uh, and you've seen it; it's very famous. It's the panel that has God reaching down out of heaven, and it has Adam lounging about naked, <laughs> and there, and he's sort of, sort of raising his hand, and their fingers meet. Right, God and Adam's fingers, I think, kind of almost meet. Right, even. And I, if you go back and you know, Google it here in a minute. If you can't bring it into mind's eye, but if you look back at that image, in it, the two figures. God is straining um, to come down out of heaven, reaching so far, doing all the work. It almost looks like he's going to topple out of the heavens. That's how far he's reaching to get to Adam. And Adam, in contrast, I mean, he is lounging about. He looks like a lazy so-and-so and and can barely, literally barely lift a finger. Um, And we, that's really how we see the life of salvation and the life of response is that God is the one who does the saving um, long before I was worthy of it. If we waited until I was worthy, uh, no saving would be happening. Uh, do you hear total depravity in there? Um, and so God is the one who saves. Um, and my, my work, my wondering, the, the question for me to ask in my life is not, am I saved? Because God does that work. To even want to know if you're saved, we would say, means you are. To even care about it, to even have it be a part of your life that you are seeking and, and trying to follow, um, then God has done that work in your life. God has sent um, the Holy Spirit who is rubbing all over you there, like, right, getting, getting you to ask the questions and want to follow him. That saving has happened. So the better question we would say is, Okay, so then how do I live now? How do I live as someone who God has reached all the way to even, we would say, to fall out of heaven in Jesus Christ? God fell all the way to earth um, in his son Jesus just to get to me, just to get to each of us. Um, and so then what is my response? Now, for some of us, again, we will have had that born again experience. We will have had that moment. Um but even for those of us who haven't, uh, that does not mean we are not Christian. The, the, the question is, is there going to be fruit in my life? Is there going to be response in my life? Um, God will do the saving. My work um, is how do I want to live uh, in response to who God is. I, I want to end you with this quote. Um, Karl Barth was a famous theologian in the 1950s, 60s, um, out of Germany, a, a reformed theologian. And he was very famous in his own time, actually, even more than most um, theologians are. But, and he was interviewed once um, by some members of the press. And one of them said to him, they said, Karl Barth, when were you saved? On what day were you saved? you know which is has to do with our conversation today right because they were basically asking when were you born again when did when did that happen and it is said that Bart looked at the person and said i was saved on 33 ce i was saved then and uh as we well know uh, that's commonly referred to as the year that jesus died on the cross, and was buried and rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. And so Bart, uh, boy, that's a reformed answer, let me tell you. Uh, Bart was saying in very shorthand, a shorthand saying, um, I was saved when God did his work. I was saved when he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, into into the world, and I was saved when Jesus conquered death and rose from the dead for me. Um, That's when I was saved. Um, That's when each of us was saved. What will our lives be now in response to that salvation? So, you know, that and other light thoughts (laughs) uh, for this Sunday School moment for today. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week with another Reader's Digest version of Sunday School for the Week. Have a good week, everybody.